KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. As more and more COVID 19 vaccinations become reality, more and more students and teachers are returning to the classroom for in person learning across the country. Now, teachers have always had the challenge of dealing with a classroom full of students who are in different places when it comes to emotional and intellectual development. But now, after a year where the country has been rocked by a pandemic that has been felt by everyone, but not equally by everyone, the emotional needs for students will be all over the map. It will be a challenge, and one teacher will have to take on after a year where, oh, by the way, they had to deal with the pandemic as well. We wanted to talk about this challenge for teachers, so we reached out to Dr. Colleen Lelly. She is a professor of education at Cabrini University. She is also the director of the Barbara and John Jordan Center for Children of Trauma and Domestic Violence Education at Cabrini. Really interesting and important conversation. Give a listen. So as we have more and more students returning to the classroom, I know my eight-year-old is starting this week, five days a week for the first time since a year ago. What are things overall that teachers and students need to remember here as we get reacquainted with the idea of in-person instruction? I think there's a number of things to remember, but one of them is that we really have suffered through something called a mass trauma. So it's otherwise known as a collective trauma. It's when um, we, you know, the it takes place the same event uh, or a series of events traumatizes a large group of people, same shared time span. So we really have all been through this mass trauma. So I think that as we go back into the classrooms, uh, we have to remember that we need to implement what we call trauma-informed practices. And so trauma-informed practices are really, in a nutshell, it's, it's a collective strategies that we can use with our students. And I think we also, if, if we're administrators in the buildings, we have to remember that the teachers have also been through this too. So how are we going to implement some best practices to support our teachers and our educators, not just teachers, staff, bus drivers, you know, what are, what are some of the things that we're going to do to support them? So I think that's some of what uh, we need to remember. Um, and I just, I created a survey with two colleagues, Kelly Ballard at Bryn Athen and Amber, Dr. Amber Gentili at Cabrini. And we did a survey of over uh, 200 teachers in two um, school districts and found, and this was back before this was in the spring. And so what we found was that everyone was definitely struggling. So I can imagine that even more so, um, we're going to see a lot of struggles as, as students and teachers make their ways back into the classroom. One of the things that this, to your point, a mass trauma event, this, the pandemic has touched everyone in the world. There's not a person that hasn't been touched, but I think Everywhere, specifically in this country, there are wildly uneven, I don't want to say outcomes because we're not done with it, but everybody's been affected in way different. Whereas some people have actually found a way to come out in a better spot. They like working from home, been able to save some money. You've got the other end where mm-hmm. you know people have lost their jobs. So anyway, my point is, if you're a teacher with 20 students, You've always got 20 kids in 20 different emotional states, Mm -hmm. but I would think that spectrum has multiplied by a factor of 10 of what 
you have to be ready for with all of these kids. How big a challenge are teachers facing here? And I mean, in my head, I'm thinking your K to six, but let's, you know, throughout high school, K to 12. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, you know, when we think about how trauma itself affects the number of students in your classroom, and now we've had this layered on top of it, I think you're right. I don't know the statistics on that, but I agree with you. I think it's going to be much higher. And so, and to your point, I don't think it matters if the teacher is teaching preschool, if they're teaching kindergarten, if they're teaching high school, because the thing about trauma is it does live in the body. And so um, when I say that, it lives within the nervous system. Uh, Someone who has been affected by trauma, their nervous system is on high a lot of the time. And that's, that's actually not a good thing. Your nervous system is meant to work in times of fear. And if you have a nervous system that's on high all the time, you're going to have a child that's not going to be in what we call their learning brain. I do think that teachers are going to have a a hard road ahead of them. Um, I, I think that I know that the teachers are prepared. I mean, a, a number of them have been taught about trauma, but to what extent, I don't know. And so I think that there's going to be a lot more training that's going to need to be involved for teachers to support the students. One of the things we talk about in our book is we have these guideposts. And so we call them the RMP, and there's four of them. It's relationships and partnerships, routines and predictability, resilience and perseverance, and rest and pause. And basically, using those guideposts, those are the trauma-informed practices that teachers can implement in the classroom. So, you know, and I don't want to spend a ton of time, but this is what what I, I believe, we believe is going to be helpful for educators and students. Relationships and partnerships. So relationships, the research has shown that the greatest thing that you can do for a child is to build a positive relationship. And so it doesn't matter if it's a teacher, if it's a coach, if it's a parent. But those positive relationships can help overcome adversities. And then the other part of it is those partnerships. So there's a number of organizations in the area that will, nonprofit organizations that can support schools and provide trainings. So supporting the administration, supporting the teachers with those partnerships is really important. Routines and predictability. So unfortunately, you know, to your point, some people may have liked being at home, right? And they like the you know, I can get up when I want, and but the, the routine may not have been as strict as before. I didn't have to get in my car at a certain time. But a lot of students thrive on, children thrive on routines and predictability. So we need to, like, get that back in if it hasn't been there. And I know that a number of schools, they, Mondays they went in, Tuesdays they were home, Wednesdays was asynchronous. So that caused a lot of routines to be disrupted and unpredictability for parents, for teachers, for students. And then we have resilience and perseverance. So teaching resilience, many, we've all been resilient during this time, right? There's a lot of things that we didn't want to do. (laughs) So we've become resilient. And then lastly, rest and pause, taking time for self-care and teaching self-care to our students is super important. Teaching them how, what does it mean to take some deep breaths, mindfulness, and those types of skills. So that's it in a nutshell. There's a lot more, but Those things are the things that we have to now build back into our routines and back into our practices and make sure that uh, we are are setting up our students for success. Teaching is about much more than just educating, you know, you are social worker, you are, you know, child psychologist to a point and all. Are we in a situation here where I don't want to say the education is not the most important thing, but if you were looking at a pie chart of the role of a teacher, the 
the pie pieces have changed and what's a, a bigger part of your job and more important part of your job, whereas maybe just making the kids comfortable and, you know, making a connection with them is more important than hitting reading level X by May. So, yeah, teachers are, are part of what we call the caring professions, right? So we are similar to social workers in the fact that we chose this profession because we care. And so there is a lot of research right now that's stating that we really need to focus on that care aspect. We really need to look at our children and uh, make sure that uh, their well-being is intact. However, we're not social workers. We are meant to teach. So we need to make sure that we're building those relationships again with other people like social workers and the counselors in the building to make sure we're working collaboratively. But then there is some body of research out there that we, you know, they call it, they say, you know, uh, Maslow before Bloom. And so Maslow was this guy that said, we have these hierarchy of needs. And if our needs are not being met, we're not going to get to that highest level of being able to learn. And then we have Benjamin Bloom, who says, we need to ask these higher level questions. So basically, the whole premise is, we need to make sure the hierarchy of needs is met, safety, love, belonging, sleep, care, home life is okay, before we can get to the point where we have them in that learning brain. So I do think that we might need to take a step back, see where our students are, use that, that care, and, and implement, again, these trauma-informed practices as we continue uh, educating our, our children. So I, I think it is going to be a bit of a balance for sure. And I think that educators are going to need a, a large network of connectedness to help um, make sure that students are okay. You made the point earlier that teachers went through this as well. And now they are, you know, they want to and are expected to help all these kids. But you also pointed out, you know, teachers have been through a lot in the last year. What is your concern from a teacher standpoint that, you know, maybe in some cases it's just been able to barely hold it together this year and now is going to have to project uh, strength and kindness and everything to, to students to try to help them if they need it through their moment. Uh, You know, we've got to be concerned about the teachers too, I guess is my point. Yeah. And I think that I'm also concerned for our field. I think, you know, I wonder is what is this going to do to our field? Are we going to have retirements and are we going to have enough new teachers to, to fill in? You know, so we look at that teacher attrition and what is that going to look like? I, I, I mean, I don't know. I think that still remains to be seen. To your point, I think maybe some educators like teaching online and I think other educators may not. And they're like me, get me back in the classroom as soon as I can. So I think that, um, you know, we're going to have a wide range. And I think that to your point, you're going to have to have administrators who are really savvy about knowing their teachers, knowing what they need and supporting them. I've been talking to a number of school districts in the area who are looking for professional development. Like, can you help me educate our, you know, support our teachers? You know, can you help us with professional development so that we can ensure that they're they're okay and that they're ready to get back into the classroom. And so I think that there's just a lot of things to think about right now. And, you know, and, and, and that, that grace, I just keep thinking grace. We have to have grace with each other. Um, Parents with the teachers, teachers with the parents. I think we all just need a little bit of, of grace because it's, it's not easy for anyone. You know, I I've seen my own family, my sister, you know, struggling Uh, she's working from home and trying to have her two kids there. And then I have teacher friends who are teachers and have their kids at home. So it's really been difficult, I think, on a number of people, 
Whereas some people, to your point, may have enjoyed working from home, but I think that there's also been some other struggles as well. Um, so how do we get back into a somewhat what we call normal? And what does that look like, right? So now what does normal look like for everyone? And I think that we have a lot of learning ahead of us and having grace, again, with each other will be most important. Who do you think when we, because I've got a philosophy when we, I kind of separate the school to, you know, your seventh, eighth grade on and below seventh, eighth grade. I think the biggest blow of the last year to the older kids is not from an academic standpoint, as much as it is from a loss of things you can't get back. The kid that missed their senior trip, missed their prom, stuff like that. And in the big picture, you could argue, well, that's not as important as getting, but those are special moments that we can't kind of turn back the clock on. We can do a virtual, it's just not the same. Whereas with the younger kids, depending on where they are, I think it's much more, the the social thing kind of just turns into a blur and it's more, well, they've fallen behind on their reading, their academic, which Mm -hmm. I don't want to say which is more, but which do you think, what group are you more concerned with? Is it the older kids or the, the younger kids? Because I think they were each hit hardest, but in different ways. You know, I'm shaking my head and I'm smiling. I have a daughter who is in her first year of college. So she she was one of those seniors that missed her senior prom, missed gra- you know graduation. They had something, but it wasn't the same, right? So, and then I look at some of, um, I look at my nephews and I look at some other kids and think about other families that are in my neighborhood. Um, colleagues who have young children. And, um, you know, I I just think it was tough on everyone. And I don't know the ramifications yet. I I wish I had a crystal ball. I wish I could say. And I think some of it depends on each individual case. I think it depends on uh, the ways in which the families have bonded over this or not. You know, one of the things I'm thinking about, which is really sad, is that the rates for child abuse reporting have gone down. Well, they've gone down because teachers are not, you know, we're mandated reporters and we haven't been there to report it. So you potentially have kids that are living in homes where child abuse has been happening. I do a lot of work with domestic violence and domestic violence victims. Those rates have been higher because there's been more reporting there. So again, they're living at home with their abusers trying to get help while living at home. And so that's been a little bit more challenging. So I I think that that there's, it's challenging at every level. And I, I don't want to say one pocket is you know, more impacted over the other, you know, you know, to your point, you know, um, when my daughter was missing her prom and all that, people were saying, well, you know, it's not that bad. It could be worse. And absolutely anything could always be worse. Right. So I I think that, you know, just looking at it from everyone's perspective, you know, that's part of a trauma informed practice is when you, you see behaviors or you see something happen, you know, you don't look at the behavior and, 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 uh, become punitive towards the the behavior. You don't punish, right? Instead, you're trying to figure out where's the behavior coming from, right? And so it's kind of like that. Like, we're going to have to look at each individual student, look at their behaviors, see what's going on. And and from that lens, figure out how we can best support them. So yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of work, but I'm sure these teachers are up for the challenge. We're very resilient. Uh, We're all very resilient. So I think, I think we can do this. Has the last year added tools to the toolbox as a teacher that maybe were things that were tried but weren't universally used or, you know, people like what they like and they didn't want to do it. But now through necessity, 
you know, we're talking over a Zoom call. I couldn't have told you what Zoom was the first week of March 2020. But from a teacher standpoint, has, you know, has the, the thing, the, the tools they can use, has it widened? I, I agree with that. And, and you hit the nail on the head because, you know, one of the things in my research and one of the things I've published about is, you know, these tools in our toolbox. You know, we have so many tools that we can use that, yes, I think our toolboxes have definitely gotten bigger and the tools have gotten definitely better. I think that, you know, even now, to your point, Zoom, I, I you know, I've learned the different types of um, L- LMS learning management systems and their platforms. I've learned them and I know which one I like better. I know why I like using, you know, the breakout rooms and what I use them for. I like using uh, different other technology pieces that are. So, yes, I think that that has helped. I'm hoping we can, you know, learn from this, that we can use some of these tools still in the classroom, that it's helpful. The the biggest thing that I joke about, um, I was saying to my nephews the other day, I'm like, you know, 10 years from now, people are going to say snow days. What's a snow day? You know, and I kind of hope that that doesn't go away because I think everyone deserves a little mental break once in a while. But, you know, I I do think that, you know, in some ways, this tech, we've learned technology. We've learned how to use it and we've learned how to use it in a ways that benefits many students. One of the things we learn um, as educators is something called universal design for learning. And it's taking learning principles and using them for everybody. So if you have one student that benefits from one way, use it with everyone. Because if one student's learning that way, many others could probably learn that way too. Um, it's, it's very much kind of like it, it, it stemmed from architecture, right? So if I'm putting a ramp in a building, it's not just for somebody in a wheelchair. A woman or a man using a stroller, right, for a baby can use it too. Someone who ha- is having difficulty walking, a ramp might be more helpful for them. So this whole idea of using universal design for learning, using all these different tools in our toolbox, I'm hoping is something that lives long after this pandemic is over. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.